Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. We want to welcome those of you who are tuning in here in Colorado and in Wyoming on Grace FM. We also want to welcome those of you who are listening on the East Coast, on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as those of you listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and in parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. Welcome to the program, wherever you're tuning in from today. We just want to give you a reminder that those of you on the East Coast, you're hearing this program on a one-week delay. So just keep that in mind that you're hearing the show a week later than it aired live. But we would love for you to call in and engage with us. I uh, would love for you to ask your questions and um be presenting your prayer request for us to pray for and then you get the added bonus that you get to tune in again a week later and listen to yourself on the air so just keep that in mind that you guys on our syndicated stations are here in the program a week later those of you here in Colorado and Wyoming are listening live on Grace FM and we also want to greet everyone who's listening online on the uh, app or on the website if you don't have the Grace FM lap or app um then please do go get it. It is on your app store. You can just go on and get it at, um, you just type in Grace FM into the search bar and it'll come right up, put it on your device and you can listen live wherever you're at. And you can also listen in your browser anytime on your computer. So lots of great ways for you to tune in to worship and the word here on Grace FM and this program and everything else that is airing on this station. So this is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to talk with you, whatever it is that you have for us. Um, the vision behind this show is to give you an opportunity to call in and get prayed for and pastoral advice and maybe get some of your questions answered. We know there's so many of you who read the Bible and maybe you run into things that you've always wondered about, wondered where can I, where can I, who do I ask about that? Where do I go to get uh, good answers? And this is a great place for you to do that. So that's why this show exists and we'd love to connect with you here on Calvary Live. Give us a call. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Six nine zero three thousand, or text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. So, once again, the call-in number three zero three six nine zero three thousand, or text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. We have all open lines right now at the beginning of the show. It's always a good time to call right here at the front end of the show. So we would love to hear from you. And uh, give us a call. Let us know what you've been reading in your Bible, what you've been struggling with, maybe something you've always been confused about, and we'll see if we can help you understand it. Or if there's something going on in your life that you'd like prayer for, uh, we have a great community of people listening and tuning in right now who can all agree with us in prayer and say amen uh, as we lift you up before the Lord. So give us a call, 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000 or text us at 
0897. Just a few words about myself. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And our church meets right in downtown Longmont. So if you are familiar with the city of Longmont, we meet right at the corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman in the St. Vrain Memorial Building which is right on the edge of Roosevelt Park. So we're right on the northwest corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street, which is just one block west of Main Street in downtown Longmont. So our address is 700 Longs Peak Avenue, and you can find directions and all kinds of other information about our vision, who we are as a church, how you can uh, get involved, and you can also listen to some past messages on our website, which is whitefieldschurch.com. So that's whitefieldschurch.com. And that is the church that I pastor. And if you're in the Longmont area or any of the surrounding communities, whether it's Berthoud, Mead, Frederick, Firestone, Decono, Lafayette, Erie, Boulder, uh, we would love for you to come and visit us on a Sunday and worship with us and study the Word. Right now, we started a new series this past Sunday. It's one that I'm really excited about. We did a similar series last year. So last year, we did a similar series. Kind of, I guess you would call it an apologetic series. But what we're doing is we're really trying to address the big questions that people have about Christianity. And there are three reasons we want to do that. And uh, those are these. Number one, it matters what we believe, doesn't it? Right. The most famous verse in the entire Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him, so the word belief is right there, that's the goal, believe in him, would not perish but have eternal life. And then at the end of the Gospel of John, it says all of these things have been written so that you might believe and by believing in his name, that's the name of Jesus, that you would have life. And so uh, belief matters. Secondly, we know that there are a lot of people who are believers but they struggle with questions and doubts and, and things where they say, you know, I, I'm trying to follow Jesus. I want to believe, but there's this one thing that I, I constantly keep getting hung up on. So we want to help you to move past those things and to uh, be strengthened in your faith. And then the last reason is because we want to equip believers to be able to talk to neighbors, coworkers, family members, friends who have struggles and help help your friends, you know, give you the tools and the information so that you can help your friends move from unbelief and doubt to belief and faith. And so last year we did a series called The Trouble Is, meaning the trouble with Christianity is, and we took six weeks to look at some of the big things that that people say, you know, this is my hurdle. This is the barrier to me putting my faith in Jesus and believing. Well, this year we're doing a slightly different series and we've chosen some different topics. So this year our series is called I Could Never Believe in a God Who... And the idea is how you finish that sentence, mean, it reveals the thing which is really the biggest hurdle for you, where you say, you know, that's a deal breaker for me. I could never believe in a God who. And so we've got seven weeks, and we just kicked off this past Sunday by looking at the first. We thought for Mother's Day, let's tackle this one that uh, is applicable to the ladies. So uh, we began the series yesterday saying, I could never believe in a God who encourages the suppression of women and minorities. And we looked at how people have use the Bible, unfortunately, in history to do exactly that. Uh, we looked at how people use the Bible to con- you know, condone slavery, to, in- you know, to defend the practice of slavery here in the United States. Uh, we looked at how people have used the uh, you know, verse that says husbands, or, sorry, wives submit to your husbands. They've used that as justification for abusing 
wives and girlfriends and um, and domineering over other people. And we looked at these things honestly. And then we looked at, well, okay, is that what the Bible really teaches? Or are those people misusing the Bible? Maybe let's say they're taking words from the Bible and using them to misrepresent what the Bible means. And if if that's the case, then what does the Bible really teach about these things? And it was a very encouraging uh, time for me in study and you know, got a lot of tons of great feedback about it. So if you're interested in that message, it's on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. It's the latest sermon. You'll see it right there on the front page. So uh, whitefieldschurch.com, you can go and you can listen to that or you can listen on our podcast at uh, just search the podcast store for Whitefields Community Church should come right up. And this coming Sunday, we're going to be tackling one, which I myself, even when I made this schedule, I was a little bit nervous about because it's a big topic and one which, you know, is is a real thing that causes people to have hurdles in their faith and, and difficulties in accepting the Bible. And that's this. I could never believe in a God who condoned genocide in the Old Testament. So we're going to be looking at the gen- well, the slaughter of the Amalekites, right? The destruction of the Amalekites in Joshua's time and the conquest of Canaan, and how do we make sense of this? The fact that God ordered the destruction of an entire nation. Um, How could a good God do something like that? Well, we're going to address that this Sunday. And hey, if you have questions about it, I'd love to talk through it with you here on the air today. So do give us a call. Uh, But right now we have full lines. So let's go to our first caller, Kat in Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, Kat. Welcome to the program. Hi, Nick. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I had questions. I've, I've called before, and I, first off, I really enjoy this show. Thank you for taking me. Yeah. Um, I'm still going through the really nasty throes of my husband has filed for divorce. We have our 10-year anniversary coming up, May 30th. Um He's in another relationship, but I'm still standing and I'm still trying to fight for my marriage as best I can. I still think that this is something God has asked me to do. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I've really had a hard time with, with other Christians pushing back with, you know, why am I standing for this? You know, just because he grew up in the church, he's not a Christian. What fruit does he bear? You know, and it, it really got me thinking, as somebody that's come back to, to God in the past year and a half and really come back into my faith, I'm not really sure that I would even be able to answer that for myself as to what fruits I bear. Yeah. And I, I guess I, I'm looking for some clarity on what would be some examples of that. Where where would I be able to see that and say, you know, this this is proof that I've got the spirit in me. I know he's there, but you know, am I, I should be bearing fruit if I'm walking right. And if I am to see that my husband at any point ever believed in God, surely there would be fruit there, at least at some point in our marriage or our life to be able to say, no, at some point I know God was with us in that, yeah. at least in the relationship and in us. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like two questions here. Um, and you know, help me understand if I if I understand your questions correctly. It seemed like the first question was, um, you know, is this justifiable for you know to basically let your husband go? And it sounded like the second one was, you know, what is fruit? Like, what are you supposed to look for to know that you're bearing fruit? Is that those about right? 
About right, yeah. Okay. Do you? So can I talk about the one about the divorce first? That would be, um, you know, in First Corinthians chapter seven, Paul talks about this seven verses ten through sixteen, and uh, basically says this. You know, if your spouse, in this case, it's uh, he talks about the, well, yeah, um, let's just say your spouse. So if your spouse leaves you, then he says, well, then let them go. But in this case, it was it was particularly verse 15 says this, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not bound. God has called you to peace. And so a lot of people would say there are really two justifiable reasons for divorce. I mean, if your spouse abandons you or leaves you, or let's say they file for divorce, um, what should you do? Well, you know, it's saying that you can let them go. Now, I would say this, it isn't saying that you have to let them go in the sense of if you, you know, let's say your spouse is or is not a Christian and they, um, they say, hey, I'm, I'm done. And they file for divorce and you say, well, I'm not good with that. So I'm going to, I'm going to push back. I'm going to fight for my marriage until uh, the marriage is completely ended. Like if the marriage is over legally, I believe that it's over before God as well. And, um, in that case, I would say that you're free, like using the terminology that Paul uses here in First Corinthians 7. But, um, Kat, so I, I would say this. I think there's a sense in which your friends are correct, in which, uh, okay, look, if, if he's going to go, then he's going to go. Um, on the other hand, I think there's a sense in which your, your pushback against that is also correct, which says, well, I'm not just going to give up on my marriage. I want to still fight for it. So I would say that this is one of those areas where, Kat, I would encourage you to do what you feel is right before God. And I would say if you feel like you should fight for your marriage until it's completely done, then absolutely by all means do that and do it unto the Lord. You know, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 14. If you do something unto the Lord, then uh, you're doing it from a heart that says, God, I'm doing this for you because I love you and that that honors God. So I would encourage you to honor God by doing what you feel that God wants you to do in this situation, which sounds like is to fight for your marriage until it's until it's done. Now, that uh, sounds like a very hard situation because it sounds like, as you said, he's already in another relationship. Um, but as you said, if you're still married, I would encourage you, if you believe that that is uh, what God's telling you to do, that you should fight for your marriage. Um, the second question, as far as fruit... You know, obviously, there's a there's the very famous passage on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I give you two passages that I would point you to immediately. And those would be Galatians chapter 5, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And the other one would be 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which talks about love and describes what love looks like. And, you know, you, you know it's a very famous passage that's often read at weddings and things like that, but... Um, you know, has application beyond that, of course, as well. You know, so First Corinthians chapter 5, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5 talks about, it com compares and contrasts two things. It contrasts the works of the flesh, which it lists uh, in verse 19, and says this, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. 
And then he goes on in verse 22 to list the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There are other places in the Bible where other fruit, other things are called fruit. So, for example, Paul the Apostle talks about fruit in terms of the generosity of Christians to give to the poor in Jerusalem, the poor and the, the hurting in Jerusalem. When he was taking up a donation to take to Jerusalem, he calls it the fruit. When he sees their generosity, he calls that fruit. There's another one where we see that uh, fruit is also described as like bringing people to the Lord and seeing that harvest of people get putting their faith in Jesus. That is also called fruit. Um, we also see, again, 1 Corinthians 13 would be a description of some of the fruit that we're looking for when we, um, when we talk about, you know, what is the evidence that you have the Holy Spirit in you, transforming you, and that means that, you know, the evidence that you're a believer as well. And um, he describes love, you know, these are going to be the fruits of love. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Um, yeah, so does that answer your question? Um, yes and no. Okay. I, like, for example, in Matthew seven sixteen, where he says you will know them by the fruits and, mm -hmm. you know, um, how do you know somebody else has that? You know, they, they sit there and they say that they're a Christian. And again, even with myself, I don't, like, I, I think I have love and I know that I still suck at patience. I'm still learning that. I'm still learning humility. You know, well, I, I'll I tell think you. on some level, everybody has some sense of goodness in them. You know, David says, there is no good in me apart from you, God. So. Yeah. Yeah, Kat, here's one thing I'll tell you makes a big difference. And I, I think this is maybe what you're getting at is that, hey, how is it that, uh, you know, as Christians, we've all got things that we're struggling with, right? Like the, I have moments where I am not uh, living in a way that is patient and kind and Sometimes I am arrogant and rude and boastful and irritable and all these things, right? Sometimes I don't have the, I'm not showing the fruits of the Spirit in the moment. I think, you know, one of the places that I, I would go to to kind of describe what's the difference here is 1 John. I always, I always think about 1 John, you know, and John says some things that kind of confuse people, but they're really uh, enlightening if you think about it. You know, he speaks in very black and white terms, but they're very helpful in a way. So what, what he says is, you know, he says, and if anyone practices, goes on practicing sin, then they haven't known God. Now, some people hear that and they're like, oh no, like, does that mean like who, who can be saved in that case, right? Like, sounds like nobody's saved. Well, what he's saying, that word practice is really important. It's, it implies continual practice. It's, it's the uh, idea of how you practice a golf swing or how you practice the guitar or anything that you want to get better at. It's, it implies, you know, somebody who wakes up in the morning and they, their life has a certain trajectory and a certain goal, uh, something that they want to accomplish. Let's see, do I want to please God? Do I want to, uh, you know, live in a way that honors him? Is that the goal? 
Or is my life to wake up in the morning, look myself in the mirror and think about how I can sin just like I did yesterday, but maybe better, right? Like that thing I did, not only do I not mind that I did it, but I'm thinking about maybe I'll do it twice today, right? It's the idea that there's a difference between sheep and pigs. This is kind of analogy I like to use. You know, it says that in Christ, we are new creations in Second Corinthians 5 verse 17. And so, you know, we're completely different creatures. So we, we've transitioned from being one kind of creature to a new kind of creature. And as those new kind of creatures, we have new desires. We don't um, desire to sin. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't sin. It means that the trajectory and desires that we have are changing. They're being coming different. And, you know, let's take a pig and a sheep, for example. A pig and a sheep both might fall in the mud. They might get muddy on occasion. But the sheep, you know, doesn't like falling in the mud doesn't look for mud to fall in whereas the pig wakes up every morning thinking about how he's going to go find some mud to go swim in and and jump in and uh you know dreams about the mud does that kind of make sense the the yeah. very fact that you are repentant is one of the greatest proofs that you are truly the holy spirit truly is within you that is one of the works of the holy spirit leads us to repentance and so the very fact that you are repentant, the very fact that you're contrite over your sin, that you weep over it um, and you repent of it is for me, you know, that's one of the greatest evidences of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Okay. I had that this, does help answer the question. I had this mentor, and I'll tell you, and this is what I'll finish with and then I'll let you go. I had this mentor when I was uh, younger, newer in ministry, um, and he used to tell us this. He said, you know, if you would follow me around all day, and watch everything that I did, you would be incredibly disappointed because you'd be like, Greg, why did you do that? Like you just, I can't believe you just did that, Greg. I thought you were a godly man. You know, how could you say that? How could you do that? And, uh, and he said, if you saw everything I did, you would be incredibly disappointed, but then you would be incredibly impressed because you would see that after I did those things, I would get down on my knees and raise my hands up to heaven and I would repent. I would go up to people and I would ask for forgiveness. I would confess my sins. And I just thought, this is, this is really what it's about. Like this guy is for real because what he's, he's being honest about the fact that he still struggles and he still sins, but there's something very different about him and that is that he's repentant. And I think that really is the X factor there. Okay. Will you, um, thank you, because that actually, it does help clarify a lot. Mm -hmm. And it gives me something to chew on a little bit when I go home. Yeah, you're um, Will you please lift up my husband and I in prayer again? Yeah. I just... Let's do it. Heavenly Father, we pray for Kat and her husband, and we just ask, Lord, that you would do a miraculous work of resurrection in this marriage. We pray that uh, there would be repentance, that there would be restoration, and Lord, that no matter what happens in all of it, you would be glorified and you would use even the bad things that have happened for good, for their good, and for your glory. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Kat. Right. Thank you for calling in. God bless you. Right, Thank bye -bye. you, Nick. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. We have one open line. The number is 303-690-3000. Let's go to our next caller, Larry in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Larry. Welcome to the program. Larry, we must have missed you. 
Let's go to our next caller, Jody in Parker, Colorado. Hi, Jody. Welcome to the program. Hi. Can you hear me okay? I'm on speaker. <laughs> yeah, we can hear you great. Okay, so um, I have this this boulder, I guess, of that I just cannot seem to get past in my life. And it it is because I have been through so many difficult things. And okay. I've been, it's like I've, I'm going through something difficult and, and God allows something even more difficult. And I'm really struggling to understand why. And, you know, I, I read Job and I, um, that's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, and I'm amazed, you know, at, at why he didn't ask God, why in the world are you doing this? Why, why did you allow this? And I just cannot get past it. And so I tell myself, you know, I just do not believe that God, um, this sounds terrible, but I'm just going to be honest. I, I don't believe that he cares about my day to day. And that's the boulder I can't get past. It's like he died on the cross for me. I get uncovered when I die, but I, I struggle with him caring about me from day to day because if he did, why, why have I gone through, you know, literally probably 30 some years? I'm, I'm actually you know, in my fifties, but I've had 30 years of just unbelievable trials and it, and it just makes me question God's love. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's do a few things here. One of them is this. Let's start with this. I think the Bible is, um, I think we can respect the Bible because it has integrity. And what I mean when it's, when I say it has integrity is like in the story of Job. I think this is one of the most encouraging things about the story of Job mm -hmm. is that I think many of us would say, hey, look, a lot of bad things happen. I know that we live in an imperfect world, but if I could just know why that happened and that there was some meaning, some bigger meaning, some purpose to it, then I would be okay. Mm -hmm. um, and I know I can't know why. <laughs> right, and that's I mean, what Job know. tells us. It's like, and here's what's interesting. It tells us in James that there actually was a purpose in Job's suffering. But Job never gets an answer to his question of why. Right. And, and I think that, that in a way, I don't know, maybe I'm odd, but that encourages me. It encourages me to know that even if I don't find out what that purpose is, God has a purpose. And actually, here's what's so crazy about James 5. This is something that really just struck me last week as I was studying this for our last series. Is that uh, he mentions Job. It's the only mention of Job in the New Testament. Job 5.11. I'm sorry, James 5.11. And he says, mm -hmm. um, You have seen in Job the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And that's what's so crazy is that you look at the story of Job and you say, Okay, God had a purpose. And the purpose was to was God's glory, really. But here James tells us that there was more to it than that, that there was actually a sense of compassion and mercy towards Job. Now, in what way could Job losing everything be compassionate and merciful? Well, the right. answer to that is, I don't know. But apparently <laughs> there was a way. See, uh, one of the things that James also tells us in that section is that money can be a barrier to faith. 
and Jesus told us that, mm -hmm. right? Like it's harder for a rich man to enter into heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Mm -hmm. And and so like money doesn't have to be a barrier, but it often is and can be. And I, I kind of speculating here, but I wonder if there's a sense in which God allowed those things to happen to Job as a way of mercy towards Job. And we don't know what would have happened in Job's life had that these tragedies not taken place. But God did, and it was actually compassionate and merciful that God allowed them to take place. Now, uh, I actually have a few more thoughts on this. I can finish with or without you on the other side of the break. But right now we need to go to our two-minute break. If you wouldn't mind holding, I'd love to talk with you more. Uh, but we are going to be okay. right back in two minutes' time. Uh, stick with us. You're on Calvary Live. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church here with you today, taking your calls and texts on the air. Right before the break, we were talking to Jody in Denver. I'm sorry, Parker. And uh, let's go back to that call. Hey, Jody, you still there? I am. Great. Okay, thanks for sticking with us. So, Jody, your question was, you know, how do we really know that God actually cares about our day-to-day -day lives? How can we be sure of that? Uh, sometimes it feels like he doesn't. Why would he allow such bad things to happen to us? Now, I don't know if you heard um, earlier I was talking about this. We're doing a series on this at our church, really. I mean, it's literally titled, I Could Never Believe in a God Who. And one of the ones we're talking about, we have a date for it already, June 16th, is this. How could I could never believe in a God who allows bad things to happen to good people. Everything mm -hmm. from child abuse to, um, you know, all kinds of bad things that you can imagine, right? Cancer and, and all of these things, suffering. And, you know, what's interesting is the way we did research for this series is that we took a poll online. And I know that some, some of our listeners here on Grace FM took the poll, shared it with others. Um, but the poll was, you know, how would you finish that sentence? Or how do people you know finish that sentence of, I could never mm -hmm. believe in a God who? And it was our number one response, you know, and that's really interesting. Because we're talking about things like, you know, science, maybe does science disprove the Bible or like, what about Christians being hypocrites? No, the number one response was, I don't understand why God allows these difficulties. And this gets to an issue um, which we talk about a lot on this show, because this is a question that we get a lot here, too. And that is this, that um, there's this thing, it's known as the theodicy um, trilemma so the trilemma of theodicy now theodicy means great defending why does god let bad things happen to people that's a whole area of theology in fact that's what the book of job is about it's about theodicy it's about this issue of why is there evil in the world if god is all-powerful and all-loving and mm -hmm. the trilemma is really how can these three things exist at once that god is all-powerful god is all-loving and evil exists in the world because it seems like if evil exists, then either God can't be all-loving or he can't be all-powerful. Because if he's all-powerful and he was all-loving, well, then he would not allow evil in our lives. He would stop these things from happening. So since there is evil, either God is not all-powerful or he isn't all-loving. That's the conclusion. And, uh, and a lot of people say, yeah, that must be right. But what we're failing to remember when we come to that conclusion 
is that God has more than two attributes, right? Like he isn't just loving and powerful. He's also omnipresent. He's all places, meaning all places even in time continuum. He's all knowing, meaning that he knows things that we don't know. Like, like in the instance of Job that we talked about earlier. How could what happened to Job be merciful and compassionate from God on Job's part? Well, we don't know because apparently Job avoided something by going through these trials and we'll never know what that is. In other words, there's so many things that God protects us from, which we don't ever know about. The, the last thing I would say to you is this, that I think the Bible has the integrity also to say that um, that there are things that happen in this world that are just plain bad. They are just bad, right? And it's not mm -hmm. everything has a silver lining. Like right. I talked talk to a friend of mine. He said, my mom died of cancer when I was nine years old. She suffered for two years. How is that good in some way? Like, like how do I just look at that from another angle and say, well, if you look at it from this angle, it was actually good. He said, there is no good angle. And mm -hmm. I, I felt like Christianity gives me the permission and the ability, the theology we have from the Bible says that I can look at that and I can say, friend, you are right. There is absolutely nothing good about the fact that your mom suffered for two years and then died when you were nine years old. And the reason I can say that is because our God actually looks at that too and says, you know what? That is not only bad, it's not, it's not like it's good if you look at it from a different angle. It's just plain bad. In fact, it is so bad and he hates it so much that he came to this world and he lived the life that I should have lived. He, he died the death that you should have died. Why? So that he can put an end to death and suffering and evil forever. And that is the hope of the gospel. I think so many people are so caught up with how can I have my best life now? And the hope of the gospel is this. Even if you were to have your have the best possible life ever, it's not your best life, right? This life is a mist. Remember James says that? Mm -hmm. And some people mm -hmm. look at that and they say, oh, well, what a bummer. No, that's not a bummer. For somebody like you who's gone through hard times, that's so incredibly hopeful. You know, a mist lasts for two seconds in the air and you never see it again. And that's what your life is. This life on this earth is it's two seconds on the big picture of eternity. And after this, comes eternity and if you spend that eternity with God where there's no more pain and suffering where there's beauty and light and life forever man that's very hopeful so I want to encourage you in those things and here's the, the one thing how can you know that God cares about you well he said it very definitely in Romans chapter 5 this is how we know that God loves us that when we were still enemies of God he gave his son for us very few people would give their life for a good person and yet who would give their life for an enemy? And yet God shows his love for us in this, that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And I love also uh, Romans chapter 8. It says this incredible phrase following up on all those things. It says, he who gave his son for you, how would he not also with him give you all things? And you know what that tells me? I, it points me back to, um, I believe it's Psalm 84, but I'm just uh, shooting from the hip right now. I believe it's Psalm 84 where it says, no good thing will he withhold from those who are righteous. And if we are righteous in Christ, 
then no good thing will he withhold from us. And what that means is that if I pray for something and God says no or doesn't give it to me, then I can know that for me, or at least right now, maybe it wasn't a good thing. And he has a, a great plan for us. So I want to encourage you in that, that uh, I want you to remember that even though you don't know the why, you know, like James says, there is a why. And that why ultimately is found in compassion and mercy. Now, maybe we say, how can that possibly be? I don't know. But I do know that God can even redeem the terrible things that have happened to you and use them for your good and for his glory. And the ultimate hope of the gospel is not our best life now. It is that our best life is to come. So can I, can I ask for clarification on something sure. that you said? So are you saying, with your example of the, the son and his mother, that God looked at that too and, and basically hated, hated that too? Is that what you're I mean, because Absolutely, I believe what, that God what looked I struggle at that cancer. With is, and I always say this to my kids when something seems impossible. I always say, you know, if God can put the star, God put the stars in, in place, so He can do anything. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where my struggle, I think, lies. Is that well, He could have He could have prevented that, and so, but I mean, that does help me to know that He that he didn't like that either but then i but then I, it brings about more questions of well okay why why did you know why did he allow that and that's that's the boulder i cannot get yeah. around and i realize we i realize there's so many things that we won't have the answer to until we're you know in the presence of christ and probably when we're in the presence of christ we're not going to care what happens down here but um I just yeah that, the that the just question kind of is this does God me. allow things that he hates to happen yes all, all the time every day does he allow things that he hates to happen of course did did God like it when uh you know even Jesus dying on the cross you know there was something good that came from it but was it joyous in the moment absolutely not there's a very old saying you know that says that God allows what he loves or sorry allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Mm-hmm. And that's very uh, small. Um, that's a very small phrase that needs, you know, more expansion. But I think it, it hints at a very true and profound truth, right? That God uh, every day allows things that he hates. I mean, the very existence of humanity, the fact that God hasn't wiped us out, the very famous saying that says, the tears of God are the meaning of history. That every day God suffers this grief over the sin in the world, and yet he allows it to continue. Mm-hmm. He allows the world to continue. Why? Because he's doing something really great. You know, we live in a broken world where bad stuff happens, and God hates those things. But why does he let them continue? Well, because we live in a time and a window of time in which people can be saved. And God looks at this and says, "Is it worth it for people to be saved for this uh, pain to continue?" Yes, it is, because eternity is long, um, and so. You know, I, I hope that mm-hmm. hope that helps. I've got another caller I'm going to need to go to, so I'm going to need to okay. let you go. But thank you for <laughs> your right. call, and God bless you. All right, bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. Let's go to our next caller, Jody. I'm sorry, Christina in Lakewood, Colorado. Hi, Christina. Welcome to the program. Hi. What's up? Can you hear me? Yep. Oh. Um. 
So I was telling the guy that I live with my roommate, and she's a Christian, and she about she didn't fast with me mm-hmm. uh, because I told her I was going to fast and she was, and she counting down the hours until she can eat, mm-hmm. and she's a new believer, and so I didn't get offended. But I was bothered because I don't think she understands why a fasting of should be. Yeah. You're kind of cutting out on me. You're kind of cutting out on me. Yeah, but that's okay. I think I got your gist of it, and I'll, I'll kind of summarize it for our listeners. So you're saying that you fasted with your roommate. She's a new believer, and it's her first time, and she... You know, you are kind of disturbed. It seems like she doesn't really understand what fasting is all about. And so um, you want to know if I have any advice? Is that about right? I'm going to take that as a yes. <laughs> okay. So um, you keep cutting in and out on me. But I think I can answer your question about fasting. Hopefully you can hear me. Uh, you know, I think, that, I think that that's not a bad thing that your roommate doesn't understand it. I don't think you should be frustrated with her at all. I mean, how can somebody understand something that they're new to? So you have a great opportunity to share with her and teach her about what fasting is all about and why it's important. And I would just encourage you that um, if you're not sure about that, well, then I would encourage you to also find out more about what fasting is about so that uh, you can really understand it. Because I think if you understood it, you would be able to articulate it pretty clearly to your roommate so I would encourage you to make sure that you have a good grasp on what it is and why it is. And what here's it's the long and short of it is very simple. Fasting is a spiritual discipline through which we deny our flesh in order to focus on prayer. So fasting is always tied in the Bible to prayer. So it's a time where we say, well, I'm going to uh, create in myself. I love how John Piper put it. I uh, One of the first books on fasting I read was John Piper's book, Hunger for God. So if anyone's looking for a book on fasting, that would be a good one to check out. John Piper, A Hunger for God. And in that book, he says this, you know, that essentially what you're doing is you are, you are not eating and you would be surprised how much time you save. And how, so instead of eating, you are taking that time and setting it aside to pray. And there is a sense in which even uh, scientists have shown that if you don't eat for a certain period of time, you know, you, you are hungry and it's, it's hard at first. But what happens is that you actually can tend to get a, a real sense of clarity, mental clarity and physical, you know, uh, a heightened sense of, of mental clarity. And also the idea here with the pray with fasting in the Bible too, is that there's a, heightened sense of awareness of God and heightened sense of um, being in touch with God. And also not to mention the time. You know, we spend a lot of time eating. And so if we, um, you know, I always joke that the American way, right? We always say, hey, um, why don't I get something to eat? And then I can go do that thing. On the way, I can probably pick up a bite to eat. And they probably have food when I get there. And then on the way back, I can probably pick up something to eat on my way back to dinner. Right? Like we spend so much time eating in our culture and I think all the more, you know, we also live in a culture where we really feed our bodies. We don't withhold very much from ourselves and I think it's a very important and helpful spiritual discipline for us to learn the practice of saying no to our bodies. 
And Paul the Apostle talks about that, doesn't he? Maybe you know the verse in First uh, Corinthians where he says, I make my body my servant so that I may not be disqualified. In other words, I'm not going to be a slave to my body. My body is going to be a servant to me. Like who's going to be in charge? My body and what my body says? You know, I want to eat. I want to sleep. I want this. I want that. You know, please me, feed me, make me comfortable. Or am I going to be the one who says to my body, no, you exist uh, and I'm going to bring you into submission for my greater purposes, which are ultimately for the Christian, God's purposes. So I hope that answers your question. Um, we have a follow-up text that just came in asking, Is doesn't uh, fasting have something to do with possession, exorcism, like in Mark 9, where Jesus says this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting? Again, the, the idea there with prayer and fasting is that fasting is tied to prayer, and it is, I guess for lack of a better way of putting this, it's an aid to prayer. And so um, Jesus is essentially insinuating to his disciples, you should have been praying and fasting before you ever encountered this demonic spirit, and then you would have had the strength and power to uh, cast it out in Jesus' name. Hope that makes sense. And uh, God bless you for your question. I know that Christina dropped, so I hope that uh, you caught the end of that, Christina. God bless you, and thank you for calling in. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air. Let's go to our next caller, Karen in Maryland. Hi, Karen. Welcome to the program. Thank you. I have a question about um, my dog, so I just want to get your input. My dog is like 15 years old. He's an old dog. And I took him to the vet, and the vet was saying to me, she said, well, this was my dog. Basically, she was saying, I'll put my dog to sleep. My dog is blind. He's paralyzed. Um, just found out that he got cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, so he's, he's got a lot going on. But I brought my dog home for medication. And the medication, it seemed like he's still whining. He's, I don't know. I just want to get your input. I know we, we're here. we got DNR, but what about... What about my dog? You know, God created animals too, so I just yeah. don't know what to do. I, I'm at this point. I just don't know. I'm, I don't want to be selfish. However, yeah. I, I just want to. Yeah, no, Karen, that's my, a good question. <laughs> yeah, no, good question, Karen. Um, here's my take on it: is that you go back to the first chapter of Genesis, and God says a, two things that are really important. Number one, He says that human beings are created in His image. And secondly, it says that he put the creation under our dominion, or you might say management. And here that tells us two things. Number one, that human beings are unique amongst all living creatures. So you're absolutely right. God created dogs and God created humans. But yet there's a differentiation in scripture between humans and dogs and in our fundamental, uh, the fundamental value of our life and what it means. So that's why we eat chickens, but we don't eat human beings, right? Because we're created in the image of God, whereas chickens mm-hmm. are not. And I think that dogs, again, fall in that same category because human beings uniquely are created in the image of God. And so whereas it would not be okay for you to kill um, a human being, it, I believe it is okay for you to have that prerogative over your dog. So I think it is okay for you to put your dog to sleep. Um mm-hmm. And it sounds like your dog's really suffering. So I'm sorry to hear that. I would encourage you mm-hmm. to do what the doctor said and, and put the dog to sleep. 
So okay. that's my take on it. And if you're interested uh, in hearing more on that topic of, you know, the difference between human life and animal life, you might check out the sermon I preached yesterday at my church. I talked about this issue a little bit um, and um, why, why human life has unique value. And mm -hmm. that you can find that on our church website, which is whitefieldschurch.com. Whitefieldschurch.com. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Check that out. Right, and, thank uh, you. Yeah. God bless you, Karen. All right. Bye bye. All right, God bless you. Bye -bye. Listen, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Katie from Whitefields Community Church in Denver, Colorado. Or sorry, in Longmont, Colorado. I was already looking at the screen here for our next caller. I'm sorry. Our church is located in Longmont. Uh, I should know that. Um, let's go to our next caller, Ashley in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Ashley. Welcome. To Hi, program. how are you? Doing great. What's up? Good, good. Um, I was just calling because I heard um, one of your callers, um, Jody, um, she had called to say, you know, why has so many things happened to her, um, negative things in her life, and, you know, um, yeah, about that. And so I just wanted to let her know that, um, you know, in the, the way that I've, I've had, I too have had a lot of bad and negative things happen. Um, but I guess, like, through my walk in the Lord, I've learned that, like, it's not in our timing, it's in God's timing. So, you know, I just wanted to let her know that that things happen, that's just how it is. But God is always there, and He's always on time, and He will get you through it, um, no matter what the situation be. Um, I had an uncle who was ready to pass, and I had an option whether to stay with him or go to church. And I went to church, and... You know, I I wasn't praying for a miracle, but I asked my uncle to, I mean, my God to give me and my family the, the strength to get through, you know, whatever's going to happen to my uncle. And when I got to the hospital, um, he died, and he died from mesothelioma to lung cancer. And I was kind of upset because I left to go to church to pray, but then I'd only had five minutes before he died. And so the nurse came in and said, you know, hey, you know, he he he's gone, you know, and then literally like 10 minutes after she had already pronounced him dead, he came back to life. We, every single person in that room went to a miracle, and he was able to say his last goodbyes to everybody. So, you know, um, although we can't see it, I mean, sometimes um, God is always on his timing, and he does things the way he does them because he knows what he's doing. He's never wrong. So I just wanted to let get that out there. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you, and um, God bless you. Thanks for sharing your story and that encouraging word. So God bless you. Thanks for calling in. All right, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720 336 0897. That's 720 We've got seven minutes left in the show. Let's go to our call-in line here. Our, sorry, our text line. We, see, our first text is asking this. Um, it says that Jesus' beard um, was pulled... Well, sorry. Isaiah 50, verse 6, says that G, the Messiah's beard would be ripped out. Was Jesus' beard ripped out? Um, well... Let's see here. Um, I was reading something about this. Yeah, here's what it says. It says that the New Testament uh, says this. So this is Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. It says this, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. 
So this is a prophecy from the Old Testament. You know, this is some uh, 500 or so years before Jesus. And this is predicting the fact that the Messiah will be beaten and his beard will be ripped out. Now check this out. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 67, it says this about Jesus. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands. So it, notice it doesn't mention anything there about his beard being ripped out, but here's an interesting historical comment that's written here. It says this, Pulling out the beard of a condemned man before their crucifixion was part of the regular humiliation that was carried out against those who were crucified. Historical records of the Jews describe men who's, who were condemned to death as having their beards torn from their faces. So Isaiah, you know, tells us that this is what will happen to Jesus. And where it says there, they spit in Jesus' face and struck him with their hands, it's very likely that this time they would have um, pulled out his beard. Interesting thing there, Isaiah, if you look at uh, part of that verse there, it also says this, I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. So there Isaiah speaks about them spitting in the face of the Messiah and and Jesus, we're told there in Matthew 26, that that did indeed happen. So um, I think that we can be pretty sure that that was fulfilled, um, it's, although it's not written for us there. Specifically in Matthew's Gospel, it was a regular practice. And you know it's also very interesting if you look at um, some of the Psalms, like for example, Psalm 22 uh, describes many things which are like describing crucifixion. And what's so interesting is that crucifixion was not practiced at the time when these Old Testament prophecies were written. So they're describing things that are going to happen to the Messiah, which were not commonly practiced um, at the time when they wrote them. And yet they're describing the fact that Jesus is going to be crucified before crucifixion was ever invented. Um, and so that's, that's just another one of those proofs of the fact that the Bible is inspired by God. And it's the very word of God, not the word of man. So thank you so much for that question. It's a good one. And God bless you. Next question says this, um, I expected Christ, or I accepted Christ and I felt the Holy Spirit. There was no doubt, but over time, a few years, it seems to have fizzled out or I don't doubt that I'm saved, but I would love to feel that new feeling again. I feel almost empty when I pray and I'm curious after praying if God sometimes allows the empty feeling to grow us. I've always wanted to get that feeling back and have prayed and prayed. Please, please pray that God would light me on fire again. Hey, this is something that I hear from people fairly regularly. And I remember experiencing this similar kind of feeling when I was a Christian, when I was a new Christian. I remember when I really gave my life to the Lord when I was 16 years old. You know, I mean, I had, there were a ton of sensations, right? Like I had this sense that, wow, I'm overwhelmed by the fact that I am forgiven I'm overwhelmed by the fact that God loves me. And this would often move me to tears. I remember, you know, going to church and worshiping and just being so moved emotionally. Um, and it was like every time. And then over time, I stopped having those really emotional responses. And I thought that maybe something was wrong. Like, I, that means I'm not really on fire like you're describing. You know, I, I want to have those feelings again. And what I've learned over time is two things. One is that, does God sometimes allow us to feel empty um, so that we will seek after him? Do we, uh, the, or do we experience what we might call dry times? 
Uh, I think the answer to that is yes. It doesn't always mean that something's wrong, um, but it might, you know. So, I mean, I think that you want to constantly, all of us should be constantly examining ourselves. That's something that like the epistle of James and, and Hebrews encourage us to do is be examining ourselves, you know, and, and really do that because it's important so that we don't get off track. We always keep asking the right questions. But here's the other thing that I think is maybe more important. You know, I'll, I'll have been married this year for 15 years. This will be our 15th anniversary coming up in September to my wife. And I will say this. When we first got together, everything was new. Everything was exciting. And now we have a different, you know, our relationship has developed over time. You might say it's matured. And the feelings that I have for my wife are not the same as the feeling like when we had our first kiss that was very exciting you know and all these things and now we kiss regularly and it's it's doesn't do the same things to me that it once did now does that mean that i need to get back to that point when we first met in our 20s and we we you know kissed and it was electric i don't necessarily think so here's what i want to tell you is that relationships change over time and you know like a fine wine they they get better and things change about them and those things are good. That's the natural progression of a relationship. And it's good and it's glorious. Now, you want to keep it living. You want to keep it passionate and engaged. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't mature over time. So I would just encourage you. Maybe there's nothing uh, that maybe what you should not be seeking is those feelings. Maybe you should be seeking the Lord and having a deep, lasting, meaningful relationship with him. So thank you for that question. It's a good one. God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. My name is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Check us out if you're in the Longmont area. And I'll be with you again on Calvary Live another time. God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.